Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DeadStoreProds.com movies and television podcast. As always, I'm your host, The Dead Man, and I am running off four hours of sleep and some kind of diabetes, probably. Join me today, we have Bertie. Good evening. I'm <clears throat> so sorry about this being late. This is a time where we actually are kind of intentionally late because we we were going to record this the night before Iron Fist came out. But then I made an executive call and say, hey, let's actually fucking talk about Iron Fist close to the release of Iron Fist. Even if it's not much. Seems we, like a, even if it's not much, we gotta like talk a about logical something. enough decision. Yeah, it's. Is the things I have, it's the calls, it's the tough calls I have to make being the boss. Like, so do you want to sit down and talk for like two hours about some fucking bullshit? Or do you want to sit down for three hours and talk about some fucking bullshit while watching the Da Vinci Code? We chose poorly, but still. So anyway, Iron Fist. The fuh? Yeah, pretty much. And, like, not the fuh that I was expecting. Okay, and what what the fuh were you expecting? I'm curious. I was expecting something along the lines of, like, a Doctor Strange the fuh. Because Iron Fist origin story. Okay. Being what it is. You mean, like, mystical, ancient Chinese mysticism type the fuh, not... Odd plots, decisions, and structured defa. I expected a fucking dragon. Oh, yeah. I expected a kid hanging out in a fucking, like, ancient Chinese city while some yeah. dude wearing some dumb mask beats the shit of him with a stick. Yeah. I mean, fuck, we didn't even see the tattoo on his chest until episode four. Yeah. And we still haven't gotten an actual, like, look at Kunlun because fucking they haven't actually built that city. Yeah. All right. So, um, I guess I could detail how the plot starts, but it's more like a series of different cliches for the first four or five episodes. Yeah. Because the first episode is the, the prodigal son returns from supposed death episode. The second episode is the Gaslight episode. The third episode is the Corporate Bickering episode. The fourth episode is the Right Way to Do Business episode. And maybe some hand stuff. The fifth episode is Have a Heart Business episode. Yeah, I don't know what they're thinking with the writing of this. (laughs) They're thinking that people coming to the superhero show are really interested in the workings of a multi-billion dollar corporation. They watched Arrow and were like, you know what this needs? We need some more fucking, like, minutia about business. Let's have a pricing meeting about this new drug they made up. Fuck it. Yeah, and this probably isn't helping. Because while, while the show's creator worked as a... He's not the only director. There's episode directors on every episode. And that comes across with how much it jumps all over the fucking place. They would have writers... So, like, 
actual comic book writers come in and write specific episodes from time to time, and I can't tell where all it took place in because it just seems to jump all over the place. Like John Byrne, the guy who wrote She-Hulk, did the, the like. Apparently, a whole bunch of people wrote scenes for the first episode. Yeah, which I don't understand. Ah, oh, this is. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I can't say it's as boring as I heard. I'm just confused. I'm not confused. I just don't care. That's fair. Like, oddly fitting, I'm kind of running into a similar problem with uh, Finn Jones as Danny that I did with Mike Coulter as Luke Cage, where every once in a while, like, the personality that I love with that character will come through. But most of the time, it is just fucking this flat note where they have, like, almost no charisma. But where Mike Coulter managed to make up for that a bit with, like, fucking just presence. That is a giant-ass fucking man. Finn Jones is... Finn Jones has nothing. Yeah, and here's the thing. It was kind of more important for Finn Jones to sell you the character as much as possible, because if you don't, the plot is... Particularly if you think about it in terms of, like, both, both as a superhero property and as a Marvel property, it's incredibly done been done yeah like like the other three netflix shows they've done so far even daredevil which is a technically re-adaptation after the less than stellar movie they at least were doing things that hadn't been done before everything about kind of the plot structure the characterization stuff with iron fist had all been done before and you can't really go into the cultural stuff like iron fist did because at that point it's white people appropriating Asian culture. And if you look at Twitter for the last few months, you can see why that might be a problem. Yeah. So it was more, it was more important. I think that Finn Jones tried to really sell why Danny is likable as a character to try to make you forget that. And unfortunately the writing and the inconsistent directing is failing him. Yeah. Like I said, every once in a while, every once in a while he'll have like these little moments where like just a bit of humor or just, he'll get across this like weird naivety about everything. And it's kind of endearing a bit, but then it just fucking falls back into just generic comic writing or, or just, or just, or just think I'll like hit a fucking brick wall and then just end like that fucking homeless buddy he had who fucking died in like the second episode. Yeah, like I, I, I almost didn't know who that was when he was. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it is. Oh no, my buddy's dead. Well, time to go be a billionaire again. Yeah, I didn't even call the cops. Didn't even call anybody. He just left him there with a blanket. Yeah. I will say this, this is kind of the reverse of the normal problem I've had with Netflix shows, where in the past, every Netflix show has started strong, and it's kind of petered out as it went along. Like Iron, like uh, Luke Cage, particularly towards the third act, went off the rails. Daredevil, season one, got dull in the latter half, and season two, in particular, got really dull in the latter half. Uh Iron Fist seems to be getting a little better as it finds its point of purpose and focus, but it takes a while to get there. And even then, like, I'm not entirely sure 
what the point of this is. Like, I'm not entirely sure. Like, like with the other Netflix series, they have done a they've done a decent job. At least most of them have. With like setting up a like setting up like an actual big thing. Like with the like with the introduction of like the Kingpin or with the hand in season two. Like like having like building up and having like the actual focus be on like a singular thing. With this, I don't really know what they're going for because there is Madame Gao in the hand. Which is like the hand doing which their own they stuff as established. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that it's Madame Gao and the hand doing hand stuff, but then also having a drug fucking whatever drug cartel going on. Then there are the Meacham siblings fuck with the company. Then there is Harold Meacham fuck with the company and Danny from the outside. And then there is also a guy who they introduced in episode nine. Who feels like he should be more important than he actually is and have been introduced before episode fucking nine. Yeah. Oh, and biggest screw up. And I, dead man. And I discussed this earlier as I was watching these episodes. This is the first big, like Marvel's had questionable casting decisions in the past, but it, kind of worked in most cases the, the guy playing ward meacham is awful <laughs> yeah he is definitely the lesser of the marvel wards <laughs> that's kind of a low bar anyway <laughs> <coughs> yeah so tom pelfrey uh plays ward oh, that's meacham the guy's name yeah. yep like, i can't tell if he's drunk or not awake I'm going to assume it's a little of both. I'm thinking that, like, those fucking muscle relaxers he was taking were actually real. Yeah, because throughout the entire the, the entire four episodes I've watched so far, he keeps trying to emote, and he just, he apparently cannot get out of that monotone. It reminds me of, um, if you remember Dungeons and Dragons, uh, the lady playing the queen opposite Jeremy Irons, <laughs> where Jeremy Irons was so over the top. And she was a block of wood. Oh, right. That's what this. That's what this performance reminds me of. And he's also that we that specially annoying combination of grating and incompetent. Yeah, and also as a healthy kind of looks like a slicked back leather handbag. Yeah. Like, everything about him screams asshole, but he's not even a competent or interesting asshole. He's a he's literally a boring, white-bred asshole. He looks like somebody who would be working for Gordon Gecko. Yeah, and Gordon wouldn't actually like him because he would be... Com- he, would, he would have to tell him what to do. Much like Ward's actual father, Gordon Gecko would probably be telling him what he's actually supposed to be doing every five minutes because he keeps fucking up. Yeah. Like, I, I have to wonder how many times... Do people who are smarter than you have to tell you the right thing to do and you don't do it and you do the wrong thing anyway? I don't know. Ask your president. Boom. Fair point. I was waiting for that. The second he started going on that little diary, I was like, give me, give me, an, give me an opening. Yeah. Give me an in. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure he he ever stops opening his mouth long enough to actually hear anybody, to be honest. But 
Yeah, also, uh, yeah, also no, the fucking... It, like, and it's, it doesn't help that he's so prominent in this show. Yeah, he is one of the main characters. That, and it's like, okay, the actress playing uh, Joy Meacham, I don't think is all that great, but she shares so many scenes with him that she looks like she should be winning an Academy Award. That's Jessica Stroop, 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 I don't know how to pronounce her last name. She's from 90210. The Reboot. Okay. As well as a bunch of really shitty horror movies and like <laughs> and like half a season of Reaper. Whatever. But yeah, no, any scene with him, I feel even like a C grade like I kind of like the guy playing um uh Harold Meacham. Yeah, he's fine. Because yeah, uh he played Faramir in uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, he was also in uh, fucking ca- 300. Yeah. David Wenham. Yeah. Yeah. And it's clear that the relationship they're going for between him, Ward, and Danny is kind of like the Peter Parker and Norman and Harry Osborn relationship, where the dad sees more, more in as a son out of the guy who isn't his son than his actual son, but he's so self-obsessed that he's actually incapable of caring about anybody but himself. And there are some scenes with him that I like. Like, it seems like he might care about his daughter a little bit, but it's hard to tell considering how self-obsessed he is. But then again, he's dealing with the hand, so... Yeah, it's also kind of hard to tell because I... I just kind of had a hard time getting a read on him throughout. Yeah, but... In in his case, I felt like that was appropriate character build up. Like he was that kind of character who you were never sure what his motivations were, and it was fun to try to figure it out. If Ward ever developed any, if Ward ever even tried to develop any serious character, one I couldn't tell. Two, I wouldn't care. <laughs> they do try to give him something. The last thing I saw him do was put some of Madame Gao's heroin in his desk. I'm assuming he probably takes that at some point. You'd assume correct. And I will say this: while his while he does like try actually acting, as things goes on, like like he does a good job of like acting a bit more like fucking harried and a bit like a heroin addict. It he never loses that drunken slur, which is weird because you'd think heroin would be good for that. You'd think, but no. It turns out that <laughs> it turns out that even this fucking dope-ass new heroin that's completely legally produced or something? I don't know. Even with even with that, you can't overcome just fucking years and years of alcohol abuse. <coughs> yeah. Speaking of abuse, but- the fighting. Yeah. I do not like any of the fighting. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's bad, but I... And I was going to say this at some point during this discussion. Marvel is both the beneficiary and the victim of of heightened expectations. Yeah. After two seasons of Daredevil, none of the fighting I've seen so far has been particularly outstanding. I've, did you see that fight in the hospital records room? Is that happened yet? Yeah. That's the fucking worst fight scene I think I've seen ever. Yeah. The, okay. Because I mean, even in the four or five episodes, I noticed. Um, 
they've clearly got someone who trained enough to do the fights, but they're still doing a lot more of what I hate about, like, modern action movie fighting with, like, the constant editing and the super close-up, hard-to-see-what's-going-on. And, yeah, again, after both... Even even the lesser episodes of Daredevil had better fights than that. Yeah. So, yeah, Marvel kind of... Like I said, after Daredevil, after Jessica Jones, after Luke Cage... Considering this is the last piece of the puzzle they had to drop in, like as a comparison, um, the last big individual Marvel movie they did before Avengers was Captain America, and I would argue that's actually probably the best of the bunch for that first set. Well, that first so Iron that was Man was a nice. I like Iron Man. I don't like it as much as the first Captain America. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I I think that first Captain America movie is fun. Like okay. even me in World War Two movie, I and I just enjoy watching it. Like they get across what works about that character really efficiently, and just make like a fun movie. Yeah, which is why I'm saying that was my favorite of that first wave of Marvel movies leading up to Avengers, uh-huh. and it was the last one they did. Whereas with this, this is supposed to be the last step before Defenders, and it's kind of a, uh... yeah. Partic- Particularly since I've been reading the Matt Fraction run, and they could have gone a lot crazier with what they discussed. Oh, hell yeah, dude. At least from what I've seen so far. Motherfucker, there is so much they could have done. There is the fucking wealth of shit they could get to work to, like, base off of, base, like, fucking the show off of. And they just kind of fail at it. Like, just, yep. just every, every time it looks like it's starting to gain momentum a bit, like, every time, like, they'll have, like, an interesting fight scene or they'll introduce, like, a new character. And it just fucking falls flat. Like one of the uh, going into it, one of kind of the big things that was behind, or at least a very prominent part of that Twitter fucking explosion, was Louis Tan. Uh, so Louis Tan in the show plays a uh, Zhou Cheng. He is an he's essentially an evil Iron Fist. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, he's uh he's a protector of the hand meant to, uh meant to kill every iron, meant to kill all the iterations of the Iron Fist. And Lewis Tan originally originally auditioned for the role of Danny. Uh-huh. And so when when the fucking hubbub began going around of, "Oh, don't make a white guy Danny Rand, make him Asian." He was kind of the one that everybody was like, "Yes, we need to fucking get this guy out there. This guy needs to be Danny Rand." And I'll say, I'll say this. My thoughts on that whole like casting thing. If they had a cast an Asian guy as Danny Rand, I would have been fine with it. The fact that they didn't, I'm also fine with. Yeah, like it, I get why they cast a white guy, both because it's the character and B, it's kind of the nature of the story. It's basically it is basically doing what the old David Carradine TV show Kung Fu did back in the seventies. But I can get why people are upset because there's no reason Danny Rand has to be a white guy. There's nothing about him that has to explicitly make him white. Yeah. So just throwing that out there, like either like either way, if they had been if, like him being white, him being Asian, didn't matter. They just need to get a good actor. Uh, they didn't, and it really sucks because this guy is actually way more interesting than 
Finn Jones. This guy was in one scene. It was a fight scene. It was one of the more interesting fight scenes of the show, and he was way more charismatic, even though I couldn't tell you what the fuck his accent was. Yeah, I actually think Finn Jones was actually a good choice for Danny Rand. It's just, again, the writing and the directing's all over the place, so no one can tell. Yeah. But also, um, and this was the saving grace for me for the first few episodes, um, Jessica Henwick yeah, as she, Colleen Wing. She's great. There needs to be... there. I, I, I mean, again, I've only seen the first four or five episodes. I hope there's a lot more with her because all of her scenes are great. It felt weird that they set her up as being so important early on and then she keeps getting pushed to the background for the much less interesting characters. But again... Like, I think Marvel just felt they had to do this, but they didn't know how or why. Yeah, it seems like they are... Where I'm at in the show, it seems like they are beginning to make her important. Well, that's good, because... With only, like, four episodes left in the fucking show. Well, yeah, but if you recall from Daredevil Season 2, and this bothered me as much as it bothered you... After that a fucking awesome first four or five episodes with the Punisher, everything dragged to a halt for five or six episodes until you got to the Punisher shooting ninjas. <laughs> yeah. Like, like up up until like just now, basically. Uh Colleen Wing's whole thing has just kind of been Danny needs to go do something, so she's gonna tag along and help. Yeah, which I, and I but I kind of like her idea of that that mixture of her teacher taught her honor and discipline, and she wants to respect that, but she also a needs money, and b is starting to develop a bit of a bloodlust that she can't really control. Those are components I kind of like in a story about martial arts, but they don't seem to be focusing on it. <laughs> I actually forgot the bloodlust was a thing. Well, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, like I think the bloodlust was mainly introduced like to help her and Danny connect, so it would make more sense when they fucked. Sure, because of course they did. I mean, it's not like in that same episode he said that he was a monk who took a vow of celibacy. Also, a really weird thing. It so they. There's an episode in this where uh, Danny goes through just a gauntlet fight. It is just him against like fighter after fighter in order to get somebody back who the hand had taken hostage. Okay. Throughout all the fights, he is getting like advice and spiritual guidance from the ghost of his former master. His master is played by Hun Lee. Okay. Who, for those who don't know until recently, did the voice of Splinter in Ninja Turtles. (laughs) Fun. So the entire time where where fucking Hunley is, like his ghost is showing up and saying, Danny, get rid of all your fucking emotions. They're useless. You need to fucking destroy the hand and kill everybody. And it's like, wow, Splinter, you got dark after you died. The only thing that would have been a little bit more funnier and on the nose is if um, 
stick if Scott Glenn's stick died and his voice as a ghost was the voice of Splinter. <laughs> the Splinter spends way more of his time using the cane to beat the turtles. <laughs> Every time they fuck up, smack. Wouldn't it be fun to hear Splinter talk like stick? <laughs> Yeah, Leonardo comes in with her advice, just like, ah, oh, stop your bitching. Get the fuck out there and murder that man. Michelangelo, you stupid piece of shit. You're obsessed with pizza. Him and Scott Glenn Splinter and Raph would get along way better. Probably. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish watching it. I think it's uh I can't remember how Core and I split it up. I think it's my turn to do a written review of this season. Oh god, this is a mess so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also just kinda wanna say I There are two things I wanna say to like just to Finn Jones himself. Okay. So in that whole Twitter whatever uh finn jones tweeted out a thing where it was like where it was like an article or an essay or something talking about like the need for diversity in media and he was like yes we need to celebrate this and then a writer for a site i think it's geek in color a site about um i might be, I might be getting the name wrong for the site but it's a site about representation of minority groups in popular culture like in comics movies tv okay. games and stuff and one of the writers for that an asian writer um i cannot remember her name but she, but after Finn tweeted that, she she tweeted at him, "Are you fucking serious?" But like an ellipses before it because you know the whole white savior thing, and so they got into like this big fucking beef back and forth with each other. And I just kind of got to give props to both of them in this because while it did get heated and they did very vehemently disagree with each other, it didn't devolve into the standard internet beef like like you usually see on Twitter. Like nobody, it, it didn't devolve into the stuff like where Daisy Ridley had to get rid of her Twitter account because of harassment. Yeah, kind of like it was like especially, especially between the two of them. Like a lot of the times when you get into beef, like one person will eventually just step over the line. They will call them something, or they will just do something really horrible to that person, or it will just be going both ways. And it'll be like that from the fucking jump. With this, while it was heated, it there was civility to it. Like neither of them, neither of them reduced, neither of them were reduced to name calling. Neither of them started making like personal attacks or anything. It was all just. I have a difference of opinion to you, and I'm going to argue that until I don't. Uh, unfortunately, the writer, uh, I believe her Twitter account, uh, she made it private after receiving just like a bunch of harassment. Yeah, because that just keeps happening over and over again, and I'm getting sick, fucking sick of it. <laughs> yeah, and Finn Jones actually deleted his Twitter account for like a day and a half when that happened. I can believe it. Again, the... Apparently, you can't have you can't even have a a big opinion anymore. You can't have any opinion. Yeah, so I do kind of want to give props to like both the writer. I'm, g- I'm gonna look up. I'm gonna look up this person's name so that I am so that I can give like proper due because I feel like that whole thing it could have gone way way worse than it actually did. And the fact that both of them were able to keep like relatively level heads about it, yeah, was real good. Yeah, 
And again, my problems with Finn Jones as Danny Rand are not with the performance. They're with the writing and the directing. Okay. Which is all over the fucking place. (laughs) Okay. So yeah. I just want to make that clear. Okay. Yeah. So it is Geeks of Color. I was right about that. Uh, And the Twitter and uh, this late Twitter account is now like back public and everything. Um, sorry if I'm asking it wrong, but um, Asikine Heron. So, yeah, both of you too. You did good. You didn't devolve this into another fucking horrible Twitter beef that eventually devolved into racism. It was good on both of you, but then also fuck you, Finn Jones, for that bullshit. This is for fans, not critics. Shit. Once all the negative reviews yeah. started coming out for this, he took to the internet and did that classic person in a bad genre movie trope now, basically, of saying, we didn't make this for critics, we made it for fans. The DC defense, if you will. Yeah. But again, I can see why people would like it. There's a lot to like about it, but I see some significant problems, mainly in execution and construction. So I can see I can see maybe believing that it came off overly negative at first. I know I've I've seen cases where people gushed over something. I was like, okay, calm down a little bit. I'm gonna be talking about one of them later. But um Yeah, I, I, I given the timing, I'm not as upset by that because I get the impression, particularly when that when those critical reviews came out, that he was like Look, at least maybe see the first episode. It's not like you have to pay extra for this if you already have Netflix, so at least give it a chance. So I can kind of understand that. Yeah, but he didn't say that. He but said he, he, he said know, this I show know, was not I made know. for critics. It was made for fans. I know. He phrased he phrased it wrong. Like, I, I would have phrased that differently to make the same point, but I get I get why you're upset about it. Critics are fans. That is I know, I know. The the, the people who Rail against critics for Batman v Superman saying critics have never read a single comic book in their lives. They just don't understand those. No, I get it. Believe me, but <sighs> I'm not as upset about that kind of stuff in this case as you are. I'm just fucking sick of that goddamn excuse. Okay. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Until I until until I finish watching Iron Fist, I don't really have much else to say. Same here. I pretty much everything that I said that I that isn't like big spoiler stuff, I've said. So I don't I don't want to get I don't want to get into actual spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. So we will stop here and pick this up again next time when we have watched more of it. That's the big thing out of the way, then. Yep. What else have you been watching, Birdie? Well, um, let's get the thing that people are creaming themselves over that I just don't get. Well, there's two of them, actually. I'll do the smaller one first. Samurai Jack is back. Back to the past. What-ha? Is it still the same Will I Am theme song? Yeah. Cool. But but there's a stupid on-the-nose moment in the episode where Jack actually says the lyrics to his own theme song. 
was the original show self-aware like that? I don't think so. I never finished it. I watched a lot of it, but I don't remember that. <laughs> okay. So, I didn't actually have much interest in watching this. I know all of my friends were creaming themselves that this had come back because it was a huge part of their teenage adult swim watching years. But uh, I was at a friend's house who wanted to watch it, and I watched it. And my overall feelings on Samurai Jack became even more apparent upon watching this new episode because while it is... Gorgeous to look at, stunningly animated, a real testament to Tartakovsky's talents. The story is as confused and uninvolving as ever. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Jack somehow lost his sword. I don't know if that was at the end of the original run of the series or somewhere in between. But he's now walking around in Mad Max samurai armor with a giant bike, the giant bike, uh, motorcycle with spiked wheels, and a electric spear staff and a rail gun. You know, like you do. And he keeps whenever his one of his weapons that is not his sword breaks because he still hasn't found his sword. He replaces it with weapons he steals off his enemies who and this is another thing I forgot how much I hated about Samurai Jack the cartoonish flamboyant over the top villains in this case a clownish assassin who beat boxes to psychically control rocks yeah that's Yeah. And he has a, an annoying voice anyway. He's sort of like if... Uh, how, else, how, how best to describe this voice? Mm. Uh, you know Brecken Meyer? Yeah. Imagine if Brecken Meyer was trying to play Brick from Anchorman. Oh! Oh, God! No! Why did you put that out there? Because Tartakovsky put it out there with this character. Ah, Jesus! Yeah. There's also this weird subplot with um some the the I don't know, the mother, the mother demon or something who gives birth to these seven identical daughters voiced by Great Alile. Haha. <laughs> who uh Aku the ultimate fiery demon her his uh evil Female servants are played by the voice of Azula. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty good. And there's an extended training sequence where they seem to suggest that 
Aku has brought peace and harmony to the world, and the only thing stopping it is the samurai, so they are being trained to stop him. Meanwhile, Jack is experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder and flashbacks because apparently he doesn't age as he travels through time, and it's just getting more and more insane, and he keeps having weirder and weirder visions that are gorgeously animated but are getting repetitive already. Like, on three different occasions in this one episode, he's like, Father, I didn't mean to leave you behind. I just couldn't find my way back to the past. And they show some horrifying image of his father being tortured. Through some sort of nightmarish imagery. Again, gorgeously animated stories. Honestly, kind of trite. Okay. But, uh... Yeah. Alright. So, uh... Yeah, that's really all I have to say about Samurai Jack at this point. I I was never the biggest fan anyway. I can appreciate it as an art form, but it's not it's not the be all end all Jesus fuck that a lot of people my age seem to think it is, at least from my opinion. Okay, then please direct all hate mail towards at B Birdwhistle on Twitter. <laughs> yep. Speaking of things that are gonna make people angry, I saw Logan. It was okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it is the best Hugh Jackman Wolverine solo movie. Not saying much. I know that's I know that's not a <laughs> no, that's not a high bar to clear, but uh, I mean it. I don't know about you, but don't most people consider the first one to be one of the absolute worst comic book movies ever made? Yeah, absolutely. That is... Uh... Oh, God, that fucking movie. Yeah. So here's what I'll say about Wolverine. Uh, about Not Wolverine, Logan. Um, I can appreciate it conceptually... Um, it gives me R-rated uh, mutant ultraviolence that I have been denied in all these other movies, and not just the Wolverine stabbing people stuff. There's this, uh, okay, so I guess this is the only thing I really need to set up plot-wise. Uh, so, the year is 2029, all of the, most, most if not all mutants are extinct, Logan is aging and dying, uh... Charles Xavier is still alive, but that might be a bad thing because he's developed um, Alzheimer's. And whenever he has a seizure or a psychic episode, um, he causes um, complete paralysis to anyone within a three-mile radius except for maybe Wolverine. Fun! Yeah. So Logan is attempting to save up enough money to buy a boat to just take Xavier out into the middle of the ocean and just leave him there to die without where he can't hurt anybody. Because apparently um, the reason they are no longer at the Xavier Institute in Westchester is because when he had first developed his disease, he killed a lot of the mutants. Yeah, I'd heard about this. 
And while he's in Mexico caring for Logan, while Logan is in Mexico caring for Xavier, he comes across a nurse who works for an American company in Mexico called Transigen, which is Weapon X. Like, no big surprise. It's just the new Weapon X. Uh, and she, it turns out she has a little girl with her, Laura, played by Deborah Keene. Daphne. Who... Daphne Keene. I'm sorry. I don't know where I got Deborah from. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And uh, Laura has been raised on a diet of uh, Torment and X-Men comics. Because there are X-Men comics. If you've seen the trailers, the X-Men comics are an actual thing in this universe. Um and the nurse has taken Laura to meet with Wolverine to escort her to a place called Eden in North Dakota, which. <laughs> yeah, the fucking Mecca, the paradise that is North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Laura is one of a series of. Um, uh, this is a, a program Weapon X was running because Weapon X found a way to wipe out almost every mutant on Earth. And it's kind of depressing how simple it was. Don't know why no other program has tried it, although, of course, with anything involving the mutants, there are holes in it, but it's depressingly believable. Um, Weapon X basically started um, introducing gene therapy into crops. And the food gave mutants cancer. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Just, hey, we got this GMO corn. Guess what? Now you have leukemia. Fuck you. Yeah, and the uh, the reason Wolverine is now aging and not healing as well as he used to is because on top of the gene therapy from the crops, he's also I think they I think they this was a thing in death of in certain Wolverine arcs where the adamantium was poisoning him, and because of the now gene therapy, his healing factor is no longer enough to fight off the poison caused by bonding adamantium to his skeleton. Yeah, in um in Death Wolverine, uh, what it was was the adamantium had absorbed so much radiation from all the nukes he was exposed to that when his healing factor was taken away, it was just destroying him with cancer. Yeah. So the middle part of this movie is a road trip and a western, because you know. A lonely trek and a lonely track across barren terrain in the west with an old man, a little girl, and a, a bitter old man, a bitter old killer who is so dis- so done with interacting with the world. It's like everyone I interact with dies horribly. I don't want to interact with new people, particularly not a girl who, by all indications, is technically my daughter because my genetic program was used and used for in vitro fertilization for this woman. So I am technically her father. 
Yeah, The Last of Us was really popular. Oh yeah, you you got that too. <laughs> Everyone did. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the they are being pursued by the remnants of the Reavers, led by some slimy southern guy with a robotic hand. I don't. He was there basically. <laughs> I don't really <laughs> doesn't really too much for me so. Whatever. Uh, uh, and the middle part of this movie is just a trek. The last part is where the mutant ultraviolence gets in, where Laura, uh, Laura meets up with all these other kids who escaped from the same program she did as they're trying to... And this is depressingly topical. Uh, a bunch of refugees from Mexico are trying to flee across the U.S. border to Canada to avoid... Um, uh, a hate group hunting them across the U.S. Oh, 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 God! <laughs> oh, that is. <clears throat> yep. Movies just can't have anything like this anymore without it just being horribly depressing because it's too real. Yep. And it was almost, and I was actually fine with that, except that it had moments where it was just a tad too ridiculous. Like at the beginning where to earn money, Logan is a, is a limo driver. And at one point he's driving by the, the um, Texas-Mexico border and these drunk white douchebags are outside the top of the limo yelling USA, USA at a crowd of immigrants standing in line at immigration. It's better than the original thing they had where he was just driving around a bunch of college kids where they were screaming, no means yes, yes means ain't a lot of women's march. Yeah. Yeah, and this movie is R-rated, but aside from one or two scenes, it almost didn't need to be. Like, there's a lot of gratuitous cursing, there's a random scene where a chick who's drunk after a party that Logan is driving her home from as a chauffeur shows her tits. Yeah, it, it, I could almost see with a little cutting how you could maybe make this PG-13. But uh, no, then it wouldn't have had the one big redeeming thing a lot of people wanted from this. The R-rated violence. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a little girl slitting dudes up with fucking wrist claws, you need to to go all out for that. Yeah. Like, you don't really know who Laura is at first when she's just wandering around with a ball, throwing it at things and not talking, until you see her walk out of a shed with a man's severed head that she throws at the guys who are hunting her, and then proceeds to gut them like fish. You also wouldn't know if you, like, don't read comics. Yeah. <sighs> if you but, do, okay, if you this... do this fucking second, a person called Laura shows up here like X-23. Yeah. Call and get your fucking stab on, girl. But, um... And, okay, I don't... Tell me if I'm wrong about this, and you might agree or disagree. The, the, the X-Men movies have always had this thing where they're kind of ashamed of the more comic booky elements of their stuff and try to downplay it or explain it through with real science or philosophy, but then still do the stupid stuff that would be more enjoyable if you made it more fun. Absolutely. Did you not see the costumes in that first movie? 
Yeah, no, I was just making sure you agreed with me. So uh, yeah, that is because, the X Men thing. Like the X Men thing was like on the cu- the X Men movie started coming out on the cusp of people taking superhero movies kind of seriously. Yeah, like Blade had come out, so they were not a complete joke like they had been the year before. But yeah, so they were they were doing everything they could to like just all right. So this needs to be as comic booky as we can make it, but not too comic booky. Like like yeah, he has like claws and shit, but let's put him in like black leather instead of yellow spandex. Yeah, and actually point out how ridiculous seeing his actual costume would be. Yeah. But um, it it wasn't until like first class came along where they kind of started to lean into the ridiculousness of the stuff inherent to the X Men. Yeah, and Days of Future Past did a little bit, but again, Brian Singer always seemed kind of ashamed of the more ridiculous stuff and always tried to downplay it, which played ridiculously badly in X Men Apocalypse, where it looked like X-Men, but played like a Brian Singer movie. So it's just a bunch of really sad people in ridiculously flamboyant costumes. Yeah. Like, Hey, you got a fucking like frame accurate Psylocke costume. Great. She is not Psylocke there. She is there. Yeah. She is. Hey, I have a sword. Yeah. So the way that plays out in this movie is, Wolverine has a scene where he doesn't want to take Laura to Eden because he discovers that it's the coordinates that the nurse gave him were in reference to coordinates from an X-Men comic. And he points out how most of the shit that's in these X-Men comics is ridiculous. The X-Men did exist, but it never happened like this. That would be stupid. Yeah, that w- that's, that's the trailer line. Yeah. But then um, the final boss of this movie is an evil Wolverine clone. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I heard about that, too. (sighs) So, yeah, in addition to the this is comic book shit, that's stupid, they have evil clones, a magical serum that boosts mutant powers, but then makes you feel tired afterwards. Uh, MGH? (laughs) Who knows? Uh... Professor Xavier feels the need to biologically explain why Laura has claws on her feet in addition to in her hands. He's like, oh yes, the female of the species must also protect the young in addition to hunting. So she must have claws that develop in the hind legs to protect the young. Yes. Whereas in the comics, it's just, why should I have coffee? Because it's cool. Fuck you. We need yeah. we need something that she, we need something to make her different so that she wasn't just you but with a vagina. Yeah, and that's the other thing uh, because this movie is mostly focused on the emotions tied to, like the main reason this movie works is because as an audience you are somewhat invested in Patrick Stewart's portrayal of uh, Charles Xavier and how it's kind of depressing to watch an icon of your youth slowly denigrate and die of a mental degenerative disease where he keeps unintentionally hurting people because on the rare occasion, he doesn't take the meds to keep his seizures down. Entire cities stop working. And the one, and with Logan, the people loved Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. They just wished he actually got to be Wolverine in any of the X-Men movies, which he never really did. Yeah. So the 
all of the, uh, I guess you'd call it, uh, pathos comes from that. Which is unfortunate because, because in order to do that, they kind of basically just turn X-23 into Ellie from The Last of Us. Where she's helpful, but she has no real arc of her own or any of the unique characterization of Laura from the comics or previous adaptations. So she's basically just female Wolverine and also his daughter who can be sad when um, Wolverine dies. Well, that kind of sucks. Yeah, it's like she's got none of the self-hatred of killing people. Like, she does kill people. But her basic response is, I've killed people, but they were all bad people. Yeah, that's not as compelling as a character who, even if she kills bad people, still feels bad about having to kill. Yeah, murder is... like The thing with a lot of the Wolverine-adjacent characters... Or like, or like the Wolverine surrogate daughter characters, which, for anybody wondering, includes Laura and Jubilee. After she got turned into a vampire, is learning to deal with the fact that they murder. It's like kind of learning to get past that and just like accept that, like not accept it as like just an inevitable thing, but just accept it as a thing that sometimes needs to happen. Yeah. Which always was part of the reason I thought X-23 was a better character than James Howlett ever was. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, it ends... It, I mean, the ending is pretty great for uh, at least a few scenes. Like, there's this girl who has ice powers who, when she's pinned against a wall by one of the Reavers, uh, freezes his arm and shatters it a la... Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat to where you see the partially frozen bleeding stump. (laughs) You see a mutant who tears a tree apart and uses splinters to pierce a guy all over his body and then tear him limb from limb. You see a guy get strangled by grass. Neat. Yeah. And the evil Wolverine clone is taken out by the one bullet Logan has been keeping to kill himself that Laura used to kill it because it's an adamantium bullet. Which shouldn't have killed him. It should have just given him amnesia and let him wander around for another few decades. Yeah, they really don't pay attention to their own canon in these fucking movies. Nope. They just don't give a fuck. So yeah, yeah Wolverine dies... Uh, Laura oversees his funeral, and okay, this is a. This is a there are two part bits I should have been crying because my favorite thing about this movie is the girl they got playing Laura, which made me sad that they didn't have any of Laura's characterization because this girl is good. <laughs> <laughs> like if Jimmy had met this chick when he was eleven, he would have hit on her and she would have beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been glorious to behold. So, hey, but, going um, forward, we have a new Wolverine then. Well, yeah, people have been making jokes about that, where some of the men's rights activists was like, but if if Jim Hugh Jackman quits, who's going to play Wolverine? And everyone was just like, 
Daphne. Hello, hello. Yeah, I, I saw. <laughs> Did one... you not see the same movie? <laughs> yeah, I saw. I saw one of them, and it was like a. It was like it's like who's gonna be the next Wolverine? And then it's a picture of the, that girl just fucking claws out, and Will Smith just like bitch. <laughs> And then one of the comments was, Basically. "I'm really." And one of the comments was, "I'm really sick of uh, of uh, creators turning characters' names into titles." Yeah, but um, I will say that uh, I almost feel bad for the X Men movies that they were stuck with these directors in these studios because they did actually make some pretty brilliant casting decisions in a lot of cases, like Ian McKellen as Magneto, of course, Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier, and James McAvoy as Charles Xavier, actually. Uh, again, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, uh, Anna Paquin as Rogue was okay, but boy, did they fuck her character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you, with that Patrick Stewart thing, uh, did you hear like that interview that he did a while back where it was... We were just talking about when, like, when he first started to get the role, like he went into somebody's office and then they like put out an X-Men comic and he's like, why is there a picture of me on the cover of this? I did not hear that. I was thinking of the what, the interview he gave where he said he felt really safe in Hugh Jackman's arms. <laughs> well, to be fair, wouldn't you? <laughs> I suppose. That slab of Australian beef just fucking holding you tight? Yeah. Protecting you from all the dingoes? But yeah, so I was invested enough that because mainly because of Daphne Keene as Laura in Wolverine's death that I was actually about to tear up a little, but then they got to the funeral scene and two really stupid things happened. Okay. One, um... This, in order to play up the Western elements, uh, there are points during this movie where Professor Xavier and Laura are just watching this old Western Shane, and the tagline at the end of that movie is, "You can't live with the killing; it's like a brand." And it's, I guess, one of the more iconic lines in any Western. And she. Quotes it as his eulogy. Which is dumb enough, but after he's buried and they have the cross up as everyone's leaving after the eulogy, she picks the cross up and puts it sideways to make an X. <sighs> Little too on the nose there. There's a there there's a line. That is very much over that line. What do you mean by there's a line? Like, I know what you mean that this is stupid, but I'm curious what you mean by the line. Like, the X theme. Like, the X motif on all of their fucking... It, it's, it's the same thing in the comics, too. Like, like X is a motif for the X-Men. It's not just because it's fucking Xavier. Like they have, like they have fucking chairs designed with X's all over them. They got their suits. They like fucking Cyclops' new fucking face mask has fucking X instead of like regular eyes because he doesn't need to see. And up to, up to a certain point, the, mo- the that motif is fine. It's just hey, this is their X Men. This is what they do. But then it gets to a point where it's just ridiculous. Yeah. The point where like you have like this big fucking. 
funeral thing and it's like oh yeah it's this big this big super dramatic moment that like signifies the next phase in Laura's life and how is she gonna be the next Wolverine and then just oh by the way let me take this cross and X there we go he was an X-Man I don't know if you know that yeah no I get it and that's always been the that's always been the thing with these like even it's funny, even some of the bad X-Men movies had great casting decisions. Like, Kelsey Grammer was great as Beast. He was just in a bad movie. Yeah. I actually might have been able to buy Taylor Kitsch's Gambit, but again, awful movie. Yeah, fucking Christ. Oh, God, that ladder. Yeah. Just fucking going at it. it oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> And it is funny how faux serious everyone was taking it. So a scene that was stupid enough on its own was made even worse by the inclusion of that kind of horse shit. (laughs) (laughs) So here's here's a question. Uh, would it have been, would it have been better? Like, like everything I've heard about this movie, um, one critic that I watched, uh, he described this movie as just a movie about disappointment. Yeah, and uh, where like movie Bob? Yeah, movie Bob. Yeah, movie Bob talked about how this was this was a movie about disappointment, where like all of these characters are dead, but instead of going them out in like a big blaze of glory, it's just this wet fart. Yeah, and I would have actually appreciated that a lot, and I do for the scenes that it fits. But there's too much of the like stupid stuff for that. Like, there's a scene where um, you think. Charles Xavier is confessing that he remembers what he did to uh, the other X-Men at the at the um, Westchester Xavier Institute, and he feels sorry for it, and he wants to die, but it's undercut by the evil Logan clone killing him. That would have been appreciated if they hadn't done the evil Logan clone thing. Like, there's a difference between disappointment and cock slapping you in the face with something stupid okay so with the x thing uh would it have been would it, would it have been better if like they made the cross and they walk away and as they're walking away the cross is just so shittily made it just kind of like falls apart like collapses into an x for a second and just falls apart entirely as like the camera's like dollying maybe back. It, w- it, it wouldn't have felt quite as manufactured i guess it wouldn't have felt like they were trying to draw attention to, see, 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 X-Men, eh, eh. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but Wolverine was part of the X-Men. And it's also probably going to make people super depressed because now they have to either have an X-Men movie without the one thing they've been banking the X-Men movie on for the movies on for the last 15 years. Or recast him, and that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> no, that's a terrible idea. Why why would you do that? That is no, you don't. That is Wolverine is dead. Fucking only use archival footage. Just if you gotta have Wolverine come back in some capacity, just have it be like weird, like YouTube poop style just clips strung together. Or failing that, go the rogue one route and just make a digital him. God, I hope they don't do that, because it felt like they got close enough to that with the evil clone anyway, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, now, so hey, now they have the assets. 
They made the evil clone, so just fuck it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good... It It is the best Wolverine movie. Again, I know, not a high bar. It's probably one of the best of the X-Men movies. I'd have to go back and look at the ones that really have not aged well, like the first one, which... this The number of critics who to cream themselves over that first X-Men movie still baffles me. <laughs> like, I can understand if you liked it at the time, but I liked it at the time, but there's, it's... God, that might be one of the worst examples of a, of a film that people liked at the time aging badly. <laughs> yeah, that movie is, like, super 90s. It is from the fucking dark age of superheroes and yeah. has not aged that well. Like, fuck, it, it aged, it was, it was already really dated like five years after it came out. Yeah. It's like, you go back and watch it now to be like, eh, I can kind of see what I liked about this, but yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Doug Walker had kind of a, nice idea idea of why people kept giving themselves such creaming themselves over the X-Men movies and giving them such good grades. He's like, given the standards that they were working from, people all just went good enough and gave it high grades. Like aside from blade, when X-Men came back, comic book movies were shit. So when this came out, they were like good enough, high grade. And uh, when they got to Logan, they're like, well, the other two Wolverine movies were not good at all. Good enough. High grades. <laughs> You're really on the creaming themselves train tonight. Well, I don't know. It's just I don't know why it's on the mind. Maybe it's uh, right, you know fuck it. I'll move on to the next movie where I can say "fuck you, dead man" because Kong Skull Island was great. Never said wouldn't be. Yeah, but I'm. I, I am getting sick of the of you just saying, "Oh, there's nothing original left in Hollywood anymore." I get why it's an argument, but I'm always of the opinion: get annoyed at first, and then see what they do with it. And in this case, yes, it is a King Kong movie, but it is nothing like any other King Kong movie, other than Kong is in it and he fights monsters. Okay, because uh, you've probably heard this: it's a Nam movie. Yeah, I gathered that. Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson, it, this was the thing. It, I don't know if, if I've ever had a situation where I wished a famous actor had said another famous actor's famous line. Because if you remember the Denzel Washington line from Training Day, King Kong ain't got shit on me. Yeah. Because, and... That would have felt oddly appropriate in this movie because Samuel L. Jackson plays a PTSD as fuck um, Vietnam War colonel who gets contracted to lead this escort mission to Skull Island. And at, when his men start dropping bombs on the island for geological survey purposes, Kong gets pissed. <laughs> and throws a tree through one helicopter jumps it, it when, when helicopters start shooting at him he runs at one and then as they ch well, the other one chases him jumps out of the way so they shoot each other uses one to shave another one in half 
uh, grabs ones by the propeller and gets annoyed at the hella blades cutting into his hand and just crushes it and throws it. So a lot of people die in the first 20 minutes. And they're the lucky ones. <laughs> and Well, I, I just put that King Kong guy shit on me. I feel like if they did say that, they would have then needed to have King Kong shit on a person. Well, he does eat someone. And with this horribly mean-spirited cutaway where a guy's falling out of a helicopter into King Kong's mouth, and then you cut away to a guy eating a sandwich. <laughs> do they do, like, a crunch sound effect? Yeah. Okay, good. They they needed to do that. Got some nice crisp lettuce on that thing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, they're the lucky ones. <laughs> because, uh... Oh, uh, when King Kong is the what you look forward to on this island. Ooh. <laughs> like, this one poor fucker. Again, I can see why they maybe justified it, but I'm having trouble believing this is a PG-13. <laughs> because there's this one guy who mistakes, uh, who is leaning against a uh, what he thinks is a bamboo shoot, which is actually a spider's leg. That spears him through the mouth down out out through the throat. Some limbo shit. Yep. And uh, and this 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 one poor this one poor black guy. I, I didn't think this movie was going to be as funny as it was. I knew parts of it were going to be funny, and like I assumed from the trailers that Paul that uh, John C. Riley was going to be out of place in his humor, but he was actually more. He was not only in uh, fit with the rest of the movie in terms of overall mostly funny tone, but he was by far the best part of this movie because he plays a surprisingly good crazy. I'd figured that like John C. Riley has kind of always been like on the verge of playing a complete fucking nutcase to where um, when a guy's asking him, how did you get this boat working? He's like, are, are you talking to me? Are you saying things? You're very loud. He's like, what? He's like, Am I talking or am I hearing myself talk? What? I'm going to stab you in your throat. What? Just kidding. <laughs> and considering um, he crashed during in 1944 and has been there for almost 30 years, you can see why he'd be a little crazy. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, so, and... Okay, so... I remember this because it was one of the first movies you and I reviewed on the movies podcast when I came on. Uh, one of the big drawbacks, there's two big drawbacks to the 2014 Godzilla movie. Yep. One, uh, they killed off the two, they either killed off or removed the two most interesting characters from the majority of the movie. And they kept hiding the star of the film. <laughs> yeah. This does neither. Like, it's it's weird. Like, no one in this film is as well characterized as, say, Brian Cranston was in uh, Godzilla. But the vast majority of them are characterized better than the vast majority of characters were in Godzilla. So it equals out better by average. If you get what I mean. Oh, you cut out there for a bit. What? I can really hear you. You cut out there for a bit so I couldn't really hear you. Okay, sorry. Uh, 
no one in King Kong is as well characterized and compelling as Brian Cranston was in Godzilla, but everyone is characterized enough and compelling enough that they are better than the vast majority of characters in Godzilla, so it works out better by average, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I just want to correct you on one thing. Uh, there weren't really other characters in Godzilla. Well, yeah, because uh, here's the thing. I thought Ken Watanabe was going to turn out to a character, but they did nothing with him. Yep. He was like, hey, let him fight. Yeah, Bye. that's what I meant. Like, Brian Cranston was a well-written, compelling character who they killed off in the first 20 minutes, and Ken Watanabe had the potential to be an interesting character that could develop the mythos, who they just kept pushing to the sidelines for Aaron Taylor Johnson and his boring white bread family. <laughs> So yeah, Ugh, but um, Christ, that guy. Yeah, I mean Tom Hiddleston in this is slightly boring in that he has a lot of charisma and they make him like he should be really interesting, but they don't give him much to do. But he's still not Aaron Taylor Johnson, <laughs> <laughs> mainly because they give him funny things to say. <laughs> not quite uh, John C. Riley funny, but you don't want you don't want to steal the show from John C. Riley. <laughs> Yeah, you don't. John C. Riley has spent a good amount of time building up his status as a character actor. Like, yeah, Tom, you're cute. But John C. Riley here was Dr. Steve fucking Brule. So, like, sit down. The big boys have got this. Yeah. And, um... This is a weird thing from a casting decision that I've never... I've never seen a actor both get ceremoniously killed off off-screen and get to be the hero of the film. Because, um... Kong, the, the actual Kong in the movie is... His voice... His, uh, not voice capture, his motion capture is done by Toby Kebbell, who played uh, Koba in the second rebooted Planet of the Apes film. and But he's also one of the Marines in the movie who gets eaten by a lizard off-screen, and the only time you see evidence that he died other than the blood spatter is when a bipedal lizard coughs up his acid-covered skull with his dog tags on it. <laughs> well, it was nice of them to include the dog tags for identification purposes. Yeah. But, oh my god, there is so much gore in this PG-13 movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know they get away with it, some of it, but it's because a lot of it's, like, CG monsters. But, um, Jesus Christ. Uh, okay, so, there are references to the original King Kong movies in this. Like, there's a scene where Kong is fighting the biggest of these monsters, the Skull Crawlers. And he gets trapped in the wreck of a ship and sort of ch mixed, mixed up in the anchor chains. And it's kind of referencing that scene where he's chained up in the actual movie. But it's not overt enough that if you're not thinking about it, you won't see it. And any complaints I might have had about that scene were undercut when he broke free and discovered, Hey, I've got the propeller of a ship tied to a chain tied to my hand. Why don't I use it as a chain scythe? <laughs> Yeah, that everything I've heard about this movie has been has been making me want to see it. 
I want to let you know that. I want to let you know that. I want to let you know that I do want to see this. I do will. I will end up seeing it. It will not change what it did to me. Okay. And uh, I don't know how they got away with this, even with CG in a PG-13 film, where uh, the monster tries to use its tongue to pull Kong's arm down its throat to bite it off. And Kong's response is to grab its tongue and pull so hard that he pulls his entire the monster's entire digestive tract out of its throat. Oh, nice. <laughs> this is kind of like the exact opposite of the pro- of like the thing that you thought with Logan, where Logan was like, yeah, this could be a PG-13. It's like, why is this rated R? <laughs> yeah. And the reason Basically, it's not rated R is because monsters ain't people. Yeah. And you don't see any of those people get squished or eaten, or torn to shreds by um, these weird reptilian bug things with saws for noses. (laughs) I really, I kind of want, yeah, I really want to see this now. Yeah. Also, um, I didn't think I would laugh out loud at a heroic sacrifice scene, but, um, Boy, God, I didn't expect this to be as funny. Okay, so one of the one of the Marines who survives till relatively near the end tries to buy the rest of his team some time by pulling some grenades as the monster charges him with like the vest of uh, grenade tubes around his vest to like explode and take the monster out with it. And you you know the scene that normally happens in that case where the monster eats him and blows up. Yeah. No, it just tail whips him against a faraway mountain and he explodes harmlessly. <laughs> like is is there a point where like he sees the monster turning around to whip and he just goes ah oh, shit I think so yeah I can't remember it was so quick but he's like uh. <laughs> yeah that seems it seems like it's like come and get me you son of a ah oh, shit <laughs> and then Wilhelm off into the fucking distance <laughs> yeah I can't even do. I can't even vaguely do a Wilhelm scream, so I'm not going to try. Yeah, it just. Oh God, this. I I was afraid, considering how much they'd shown in the trailers, that there would be no money shots left to talk about, from like to be surprised by. But between the boat rudder being used as a chain scythe to when he got when he finally got in for close quarters combat after that, using it as a spiked gauntlet and slicing open the thing's throat. <laughs> Or just bashing it through its eye socket until it had no piece of its skull left. This like, Kong seems a lot more weapon oriented. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when he thinks he's because the monster's bigger than him. Like they they establish that the biggest of these skull crawlers, the one that he's fighting at the end, actually killed the rest of Kong's species, and you see the the remains of their skeletons in the skull crawlers' graveyards. So he immediately he doesn't start he fights briefly like an ape, but he almost immediately grabs a tree, strips it of the branches, and uses it like a baseball bat. <laughs> I'm going to be looking forward to the scene in in uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla where, like, Kong just, like, grabs a fucking crane and uses it like a baseball bat. Oh, yeah. Well, and they actually... I kind of appreciate this where they can actually have their cake and eat it, too, because the big thing with people between King Kong and Godzilla for the fight is even though... It would be an amazing fight in in terms of the original movie. Kong would not even reach Godzilla's knee, 
So yeah. Godzilla would just look at him and step on him. But they establish in this movie that where Kong here, 40 or so years before the events of Godzilla, is about as big or possibly a little bigger than he was in the in the King Kong movies. They say he's still growing. So he's a baby Kong? Yeah, in this. Well, or juvenile. So he's Prince Kong. <laughs> that's Oh, that's, that's my Prince. Sorry. Yeah. Uh <laughs> what, Hey, he wants oh, wait, you want pussy think, control uh, for you, Prince. Yeah, I was about to say you think Kong has pussy control? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, are there any giant cats? <laughs> You think when he tore the monster's gut open, he screamed "Purple rain, purple rain." <laughs> no, I, I was I was assuming that you know, as like he fucking <laughs> when, he, when he ripped it out, it was like fucking purple blood just spurting on him like purple rain. <laughs> yeah, just suddenly, just suddenly, like a parachute or like a bunch of parachutes that got fucking stuck in some trees somewhere, just like go get, like, go like flying back and just like catch on his neck and just like all of a sudden has this cape as the purple blood just like splatters over him for like a fucking money shot. Yeah. So this movie, it, this movie was a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate that Samuel L. Jackson died the way he did, with everyone else telling him, "You're crazy. You are. You have. You're trying to get the rest of us killed just so you can kill a giant ape." <laughs> because he and some and people, everyone everywhere has been pointing out this pun. Samuel L. Jackson lost to the Viet Cong, so now he's trying to beat King Kong. Fuck you, uh, people. Uh, 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 uh. That's like a sub-James level pun. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Which is why I used the annoying Jared, Loker, J- Jared Leto Joker laugh to show how not funny it was. <laughs> I just saw a but fucking yeah. pun dump on Imgur. Motherfuckers, you gotta fucking step up your game. But yeah, no, I can understand why, oh, they're doing Kong again would be upsetting, but whereas I'm a bigger Godzilla fan than a Kong fan, I liked this so much better than Godzilla. (laughs) And a whole fuck of a lot better. It was so much more enjoyable and so much goddamn shorter than Peter Jackson's backed up, constipated two hour, two hour, like three plus hour Bullst- fuck, how long was that movie? I'll check. <sighs> Shit. That was pretty, but God, it was too long. Looking it up. It was just... <sighs> King Kong, 2005. Uh, three hours. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> that movie did not need to be three hours long. And... <clears throat> Despite this movie being only two hours instead of three, it had so many much more memorable scenes than the three-hour note-for-note remake of the original. Like, and I never thought this would be funny, but if... Okay, so one of the Marines, when he's just exhausted from running from all the monsters, tries to take a rest on a log, and then the log gets up and walks. (laughs) It's like trying to eat him, or just... Just like, hey, yeah, it, it starts, it's looking around. He starts shooting. And also, that's the funny thing. To defend himself, he immediately starts shooting at the thing. He kind of maybe chips off a little bit of its carapace, but it's too thick to really hurt it. But it just kind of growls. It's like, hey, rude, and leaves. 
What the fuck, you jackass? Yeah, whatever. I gotta go eat bugs or whatever. Yeah. And uh, people have pointed this out. Some, some, It annoyed some people. For me, I noted it, but it didn't really annoy me. Because this is 1973, uh, they really hammer in the 70s rock soundtrack. Everything from uh, Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit to uh, CCR's Run Through the Jungle. A lot of stuff you would you know expect in this kind of movie. It didn't bother me, but I can see why it would bother some people. Because it's a little too on the nose sometimes. But, you know, I love this music, so it doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah. It's not like in X-Men Apocalypse where they have a Quicksilver scene that they just randomly set to Sweet Dreams by Eurythmics for no apparent reason. Because 80s. Nah, man. The reason is because it looked funky. (coughs) Sure. And, of course, this being another try-to-be-like-Marvel experiment, they have a scene where, uh, after the credits, uh, the members of the Monarch organization talk about Kong's not the only king. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, my word. And they show... And I... I this would have been this would have ruined the, the ending of the movie for me if it hadn't ended with the Godzilla roar, because they cut to, like... Uh, ancient cave paintings depicting the fight between Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, and King Ghidra. <sighs> but I hope they learn from this movie and not Gareth Edwards Gareth Edwards Godzilla movie because if the new Godzilla movie is more like this, I am so on board because I wanted the the front. It sounds like they're basically just redoing um. Uh, Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster, where Godzilla was just an asshole who kept looking for fights with other giant monster assholes, but Mothra had to, it's like, guys, bigger asshole we gotta deal with! (laughs) (laughs) And then Godzilla and Rodan look at each other after throwing rocks at each other for the thousand times, like, alright, fine, we'll kill the lightning-breathing three-headed dragon first. (laughs) I mean, if you want us to, you giant moth. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Mothra's kind of like the fussy mother of the Godzilla universe that is always right, but everyone hates her. Yeah, they would jokingly refer to her as Mumra, but that's something else. Yeah. So, enthusiastic recommendation to watch Kong Skull Island. And I've never actually said this before, but I want the fucking poster for this because it's the Apocalypse Now poster with Kong's face on it. Oh yeah, yeah, that is one. That is that. Ah. I want that. <laughs> I, I I just want that. It's like a parody, but it's real and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so those are the big movies. Let me smooth see if I knew what's anything. Um Milo Murphy's Law is still random, but fun. Like I mentioned, there was a episode where it was revealed that uh, his best friend, his his male friend, Zach, was part of... I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but for some reason, Disney animated shows really like to mock boy bands. They think it will even out the karma of making a bunch of them. 
Because uh, you, of course, remember the really great Gravity Falls episode, Mocking Boy Bands. And uh, this episode of Milo Murphy's Law featured his male friend who was in a lumberjack-themed Canadian boy band called the Lumberzacks. <sighs> Insert Monty Python Lumberjack song joke. But oh god, it's so funny. But um in the same episode it's revealed that uh the biggest badass in town is Milo's old babysitter, played by uh Danica McKellar. Because given the fact that his life is just one giant string of disasters, a babysitter who kept coming back and succeeding at her job basically means she's ready for any impossible situation. Yeah, that tracks. And it was kind of funny where at where she uh, was riding a uh, motorized scooter made up to look like a medieval cart with a battle with a uh, broadsword and a suit of armor while carrying a pizza and a soda. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was amusing. Particularly when they said it to a song called I Want a Girl with a Suit of Armor. And the <laughs> and the episode ends with her riding an ostrich. Naturally. <clears throat> but yeah, it's still random, it's still fun, and between the original show creators and uh the fact that they've still got Weird Al Yankovic as a song composer the song sections tend to be the funniest. That seems about right. All right. So, um, Ooh, let's talk about Steven universe. Yes, let's. So, uh, shit. How many episodes have we talked about? Have you talked about since the last time? Uh, there was story for Steven. Yes. That talk was about that. Distressing. Okay. That was distressing. That's all I'm going to say since you've talked about it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, Rock Naldo was just another Ronaldo episode. Fuck him. Didn't watch it. Uh, uh, Tiger Philanthropist I enjoyed, but was mostly kind of pointless. I didn't watch it. And now, uh, Room for Ruby, which has my favorite lapis line possibly of all time. Because, <laughs> ha! I knew it! Nobody's that well-adjusted. Yeah, the start of this episode, uh, you might remember a little while back when a uh, homeworld ship crashed that had five rubies in it. That all then got fucked off into space. One of those rubies, uh, nicknamed Navy by Steven because her, cause her gem is in her belly button, should be, or would be, if she were a person. Yep. Is the super cutesy... Be friends with everyone talking one. Yeah. And she's like, please don't send me back into space. I want to be friends with you. She loves the dirt. She loves corn. Like, I'm sorry I've caused you distress. The sky was blue and that was neat. Yeah, and I just loved Lapis's reaction to uh, Ru- Ruby's line. I- I'm sorry if I caused you emotional distress. I'm sure I didn't mean to. She's like, oh, come on! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much this whole episode is just 
Navy being like super fucking into everything. While Steven and Paradox are like, fuck yeah, this is dope. And Lapis is like, uh, you're too chipper. Well, it's not just that she's too chipper. It's that Lapis being a homeworld gem. And it's the same is true for Paradox. Paradox a little bit less mopey than Lapis. Yeah. She's like, I, it took me a while to get around to the idea of liking being on Earth. And she just got through it instantly. So if it's a, if it's a con... She's, she wants to assume it's a con because if it isn't, it means there's something wrong with her because it took her forever to do what someone else did in seconds, basically. Yeah. And that's why she feels vindicated finding out that it was a con and that Navy just tricked them all into giving her the ruby shit back. And she's like, oh, I could have just stolen it, but that wouldn't have meant you get to see yourself betrayed by cute little old ruby. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> Yeah, it's not very often we get kind of sociopaths. <laughs> Especially ones that sound like fucking Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Although oh, people, have, Navy, huh? Although people have been doing that that, that evil Mickey Mouse thing for years. Like, oh, I have your soul now, bitch. <laughs> Y'all don't fuck with the mouse. Huh? You want to see another Marvel movie? Then fuck over your money, fuckers. Huh? We're gonna make an Avengers movie till Chris Hemsworth fucking dies. And we'll just replace him with a digital version of himself. Huh? Disney, but, bitch, yeah. we run this shit. So yeah, it's gonna be a while before they have more Steven Universe episodes, but you know, still trucking along. Yep. Alright, so what did I forget? Ooh. You wanna mock Stephen King a little? Yeah, sure, why not? It's been a while. Alright, so recently I've been trying to fill in gaps in my uh, good period John Carpenter movies that I haven't seen. Guess which Stephen King film he directed. Uh, I don't know. Christine. That's the last one I would have expected. <laughs> yep. He even adapted the screenplay with his wife with Stephen King's blessing. Did he also do the score with his sick band? <clears throat> yep. Dope. So yeah, basically... The directorial flourishes, the soundtrack, the way it looks, all that works... But the film is two hours long, and all they have is evil car. <laughs> so they have a two-hour-plus movie of evil car. That's it. John Carpenter tries his damnedest, but he's trying to make a two-hour horror-thriller epic out of evil car. To be fair, it's a really nice car. Yeah. And if it breaks, it, it uses its demonic powers to fix itself. And then eventually run over the fuckers who broke it. Yeah, that's But it has dope. to be in love with a man. It just doesn't matter if that man dies as a result of loving it. Yeah. Which happens, it, too. If, it, if, if that man dies in the process of her loving it, of her loving him, then that means that she loved him right. Yep. That's how women and, work, right? 
Oh yeah, I mean they of course use the the car as a metaphor for abusive relationships or mis or mistrust in a relationship or focusing on the wrong things in a relationship. And yeah, that was okay probably in nineteen seventy eight when this film came out, but came out in eighty three. Oh, was that when the book came out? Because it feels so 70s. Uh, book also came out in 83. Really? God. It looks and acts like it's a 70s film. It's just, Jesus, I didn't think it was that dated. Yeah, the, yeah, the book came out in April 83. The movie came out in December 83. Jesus, that's a quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah, man. They- was that... was. Was people in the 80s really just afraid of demonic cars? Is that why it got adapted that fast? I mean, probably. I, okay, so I guess what I would have to assume was the case with that is that The Shining was such a huge hit that basically any studio was creaming themselves over the idea of adapting a King work in the 80s. Again, you're really into creaming. Eh. In the case of a film about toxic love, I think it's appropriate. <laughs> also, this film has a weird obsession with I'm I'm trying I I wish I could have avoided this pun, but autoerotic asphyxiation. Because they people have people who have sex in the car, but they also have people who die of self and of carbon monoxide poisoning if the if the car does not like the woman fucking the man. <laughs> So, yeah. <sighs> but no, the film's mostly just boring. It's just the premise is stupid, and you feel bad for John Carpenter that this is what he... Of all the Stephen King stories he could have adapted, this is the one he went with. Oh, and funny thing. Apparently, in the book, the car was possessed by the spirit of a guy. That makes even less sense, but okay. <laughs> yep. Roland D. LeBay. Yeah, that still makes even less sense because the big metaphor they use with the movie is that they call the car a woman. You give her a woman's name. So that that doesn't make any sense to me. That's a change that... Is, I mean, as you and I have learned, Dead Man, adapting King literally to the screen is not always the best idea. Hi, Pet Cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. So, so yeah, that was a fun look back at a movie that everyone remembers but nobody likes. It's weird how those exist, isn't it? Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any other King adaptations that everyone, like, universally hates. Uh, Children of the Corn? Now, some people actually like that movie. Uh, Thinner? Hmm, I've never seen that one. I don't know. Uh, Carrie 2. He actually wrote that himself. Okay, yeah, that, that, okay, yeah, that works. I was just, I was hesitating a bit because I was like, ah, did he work on that? Was that a thing? Oh, right. His version of The Shining. Right. Yeah. I forgot he did that. Yeah, because he hated his, the film version by Kubrick, so he made his own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He did do that. That is. 
Ooh, that is yeah, that's a thing. That is a let, thing let us never do. Happens. Let us let let's let's never do that, dead man. Let's let let's never do that. Oh, there was apparently a period in the early '90s where he was trying to copy Goosebumps and was working on a show called Monsters. Original. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I'm trying to think if I missed anything. I think that's pro- uh, duh, duh, duh. no. I think that's it. Okay, okay then. So. Onto my stuff. So I talked about Iron Fist. Talked about Steven Universe. Uh, I I watched Moana. Good shit. It was fine. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't think it was any all that great shakes, but I enjoyed myself. Yeah, like the songs were good. Uh, I like the I like the more blocky art style to it, like with all the characters. Yeah, the, the more sort of. Uh, Particularly with the rocks character, they look like they're carved out of a solid stone boulder. Yeah, like, like everybody else, they instead of instead of looking like instead of having like rounded off edges where like it goes over the hand, it almost like looks like they have like kind of edges to them. Yep. And all that works and gives it a very unique style for the rest of the movies. Uh, I like the aesthetic and the design of it, like that. Uh, Polynesian Polynesian island feel to everything, like the design of everything that they do, like the uh, like the tattoos, the way that they design, like those weird coconut gremlin things. Just the boats themselves, I kind of just like that look to everything. Big problem with it is that I think it is kind of terribly paced. Like, beginning of it, it does a good job of, like, setting up Moana as a person and, like, her character and her motivation and everything. And then she gets out to sea and meets The Rock. And The Rock's a dick to her for a long time. And then just stops being a dick to her. Then she gives up. And she, like, gives up on her whole fucking quest thing and gives the fucking heart of Defeaty back to the ocean. And then, without even moving from that location, fucking halfway through a verse that she already sang a version of earlier in the movie, she just dives back down and grabs that shit because she's been, like, fucking revitalized in her energy to go complete this quest. Then The Rock just shows up again. That whole climax just kind of... just really unexciting it, it looked good I, I really like the design of the giant volcano fire demon because like I said I like the, like the design of a lot of this movie but so much of it is like, like, like that poor pacing and also a lot of it just feels empty like I don't know if this is part of the thing like with the like with the fucking darkness spreading throughout the land or whatever and like taking out islands and stuff. I don't know if that is, I don't know if the fact that they don't run into any other beings except those weird coconut gremlins. If everybody else is just dead or they just don't see anybody else, but there's no real sense. This is a really great adventure. Like they go to an island like they go, to, they go to two different islands, 
and then are at the place they're meant to go. Are you still there, Birdie? Hello? Yes. Okay. You just... Sorry. I, I had to use the bathroom. <laughs> okay. I, you didn't say... I didn't know if you were still... Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, only quick thing I wanted to ask you about Moana, because my two favorite songs were not any of the more song-ish songs. They were the jokey ones. The You're Welcome by The Rock, or uh, the one by Jermaine Clement. <laughs> yeah, the David Bowie tribute. Yeah. Shiny. <laughs> yeah, those were fine. Uh, I I actually like the pop singer rendition of the main song in the movie better than the song in the movie. Oh, you mean like the 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 theme song of the movie, but the one it's the version that's sung by the pop star, not by the actress in the movie. Yes. Okay, I haven't heard that version, so I can't really. It plays. Oh, it plays over the end credits. Okay, I guess I wasn't really paying that much attention. I'd have to look at it some more to be able to declare. I mean, that that song left no real impression on me anyway, so I couldn't really determine one version from another. Yeah, fair. It is a it is a song that it is a song that is very much of the movie, and so it yeah. didn't. And so it doesn't make a lot. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me to have somebody not attached to the movie sing a version of it. Other than we think we can get more people in if we sell it under this fucking famous singer's name. Well, yeah, but they do that with they did that with um, uh, a whole new world over the 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 credit in the credits of uh, Aladdin. They had pop singers do a version of that, and no one liked it. That was kind of a reverse situation where no one liked that version more than the version that played in the movie. <laughs> Disney uh. does have a history of doing this. Yeah. And so you're away when I was saying this, but uh, the, my biggest problem with it is like the the pacing and scale of it all feels off. Well, the the uh, the reason the pacing feels off is because, and Honest Trailers pointed this out, the main character has no arc. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> Well, like, like, her, like her, like her entire arc is. I don't want to do this. Half a verse later, I want to do this. Yeah, and she like she doesn't even she doesn't even move else. from that fucking position. She is just fucking. She just fucking throws it into the ocean, then sits there, then dives into the ocean. Yeah, and like also, the rock, and like the rock too. Like his character arc is kind of immediately undercut. Right after he realizes what his character arc was, yeah, <laughs> like like his whole thing with Rock's whole thing is that he needs to get his, like his fucking magic fish hook back because then he is Maui, you know, demigod of whatever. Yeah, and then and like he gets his fish hook, it gets damaged, and then he and he's like, oh, so I'm fucking done with this shit, and bounces. Then off screen has a realization about what it is to be Maui, then comes back and it's like, hey, I'm still here. Breaks the hook, and then they get on to fucking Tafiti, and it's like, hey, I'm Maui, always be Maui. And then Tafiti just gives him a fucking new hook. Yeah. That was kind of, that, that was kind of the um, uh, Grunkle Stan sacrifice at the end of Gravity Falls thing, where 
it didn't last long enough for it to have any real impact. <laughs> yeah. But um, I will say this for this movie. I never thought I I would think that one of my favorite, my two favorite characters in the movie were the ocean and the chicken. Yeah, that that chicken, voiced by Alan Tudyk, I think. Yep. And does nothing but literally be so stupid that all the other characters are trying to keep him alive. Yeah, like and the ocean, like, increasingly sick of it. <laughs> yeah, like the fucking ocean. Whenever he walks off, <laughs> like whenever he walks off the boat, just the ocean is grabbing him, fucking chucking him into the little, like a little porthole in the fucking raft. Get the fuck back in there, you piece of shit! I'm, I'm actually surprised that the pig didn't come along with them. Yeah, I was actually considering. I saw that thing everywhere in the marketing, so I was like, eh, you know, you could have done something with that. Yeah, but then no, they're like, hey, this we fucking paid Alan Tudyk to voice this chicken, so we're gonna get our fucking money's worth. Yeah, the other problem I have with it is just the scope of the world. I this world feels empty well yeah it's kind of the um <laughs> a strange uh strangely uh apt comparison uh zelda wind waker where yeah the world is vast and large and could be beautiful but it's mostly just empty islands and empty water the only place of interest i think outside of the home island and tafiti itself is the portal down to the world of monsters. Why couldn't have that been like all of that? Like that had to go through all of that to get to Tafiti instead of just the open ocean. Because Because that that shit was amazing. (laughs) And that's why they needed it. They needed to come off as completely amazing. And so having the entire movie there, it would lose its fucking luster by the time they got to the fucking Tafiti. I guess, but like every, pretty much all the scenes on the surface, we're just kind of being buoyed along by character interactions, and that was only okay, really. Yeah, like, the only other thing that really happened was the coconut gremlins. Yeah, and that was a great scene for five minutes, and they're never seen again. Yeah, like, that was fun, but then no explanation, nothing else, just they're gone. Hey, like, hey, we showed up, and then peace. You sank our boat, yeah. I guess. I would have loved to have seen um, coconut pirates attacking them as they are trying to avoid the volcano. Yeah, like if it turned out like those things were like the like the like driving force forward, like the reason that things like had to keep moving, they couldn't just fucking stop at different islands. Like if they if they were fucking nemesis chasing them down, working for the fucking evil volcano. Yeah. But nope, they just show up. Then they're gone. Yeah, and it's weird how kind of lackluster this project is because, speaking of Aladdin, um, the directors of this movie are behind some of the more memorable of DC, uh, not DC, Disney's early 90s great works, like they, and late 80s, early 90s great works, because they did The Great Mouse Detective, they did Little Mermaid, they did Aladdin. And they also did Hercules, but that at least looked interesting, even if it was mostly stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this looked good, and it was convincingly animated. The water effects physics were really good. They're getting much better at that now. Oh, shit, I forgot a scene, a really funny scene from Kong Skull Island, where Kong gets hungry, so he wanders into a river and eats a giant octopus raw. <laughs> 
Like, you just see the tentacles that he bit off dangling out of his mouth as he eats them. And then, as he's said, you know, I've got enough for later. I'll just drag the car- carcass along with me. Yeah, they couldn't have had, like, a giant fucking squid in Moana? Yeah, I mean, they talk about all these giant sea creatures that they could have run into. And, they, and then see none they, of them. Yeah, I think Finding Nemo had more giant sea creatures. Yeah, totally. And like that's that's another thing. Like fucking the sea. Like that that's another movie that was that it was just fucking huge open water, nothing fucking in it until they got to fucking Australia. But they managed to make that feel alive. Like I, I mentioned this while you were gone, but I didn't know if the point of having like nothing out there. They, they mentioned earlier, like after Maui ripped out Tafiti's heart, uh, that decay started spreading across the land. So I don't know if... Yeah, but I got the impression that that meant, like, natural life was decaying, but there were also more monsters and stuff. And, yeah, we see none of that other than the giant crab and the little coconut pirates. So it's just... Yeah, like, did, was, like, yeah, it's did, like, just, the, island, strangely, like the island sinking? Was that it? Like, it because the because impression there are so... I got is... Like, okay, so the big metaphor with... Okay, so I guess this is a spoiler, but... um. The evil, the evil volcano that is guarding the place where they have to return the heart of Tefiti is actually Tefiti once they return the heart, and that's tied to the to the scientific fact that the most fertile soil on Earth is volcanic soil. So a great destroyer is also a great bringer of life. A perfectly fine metaphor, but um, there are elements of it that are just kind of lost in how it's translated here so it just it ends up it really it's just like the aside, the beginning's fine the ending's great there's a couple of decent parts but the middle is mostly just empty much like the ocean <laughs> it's a metaphor yeah but like most disney movies are good with populating the interior of their films with like a bunch of compelling characters fun set pace, set pieces all kinds of stuff to make you remember what happened i vaguely remember I basically remember nothing about the middle of this movie other than the scene with the coconut pirates and Jermaine Clement singing as a giant crab. Yeah, then I also remember Sharkman. Sharkman? Maui, Maui was getting used to using his fish hook again, and so right, he right. turned the top yeah, half of his body into a shark. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, where his, he, his powers weren't working right. I forgot that was part of the crab scene. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, perfectly serviceable Disney movie, but kind of middle of the road. Yep. Well, then moving on, I have been rewatching the Fast and Furious film franchise. Okay, I'm out. You <laughs> <laughs> should just tap out. I like these movies, okay? They are fun, dumb action movies. About fucking bro and family and shit. Living your life one quarter mile at a time. And now we got the fucking Fate of the Furious coming up, which is about fucking Charlie staring with white lady dreads. Hacking a bunch of fucking cars in order to have like a wave of zombie cars attacking London. 
Yeah. Whatever. It's all real big and real dumb and real great. And I'm mainly rewatching them because Giant Bomb is doing a films and 40s series about them. Yeah. Look, I enjoy some of them. But honestly, I don't know if you've noticed, but this March and this April are going to be kind of crowded with movies. So I'm I'm probably not going to find time for this new one. I liked... My favorite is 6. I liked the ending of 5. Seven was okay, but I thought it was kind of pushing the ridiculousness of its premise at that point and the melodramatic ending. You want to see fucking it, ridiculous? Yeah, I'm. I'm. It's just Fate of the Furious <sighs> in theaters April fourteenth. Yeah, and we're not getting, and I'm, and I'm not getting paid for that. I'm just a fan. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've. <laughs> I'm probably only going to see Ghost in the Shell to write a review for your site. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> anyway. Nothing for everyone watching then. On to the news. So first up. The third season of the much acclaimed Mr. Robot has been delayed. Uh <sighs> Yep, it is. Uh, it'll be starting production next month, and will be debuting in October. So that's a thing. But they also confirmed that um, Sam Esmail, the creator of the series, will be directing all ten episodes of the third season, which is something he's actually done. Okay, that sounds fine. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, Zazie Bates, Zazie Beats, sorry, of FX series Atlantis, Atlanta has been cast as Domino in the upcoming sequel to Deadpool. Okay. Have you ever seen Atlanta? I have heard things. I've seen scenes from it. It looks funny. I don't know enough about this actress to know if that's a good casting decision or not. Yeah, me either, but it, it seemed important. Speaking of important, currently, the Twitch channel, Twitch Presents, is in the middle of their broadcast of all 831 episodes of Mighty Morphin, of Power Rangers, sorry, not just Mighty Morphin. Yep. All 831 episodes across 23 seasons. They began this earlier this week on March 14th, and the marathon will run until March 30th. This is the same okay. channel. It is the same channel that also did a stream of every episode of the of Bob Ross's The Joy of Painting and Julia Child's The French Chef. Is I don't know if you heard this, but Bob Ross used to work as a drill sergeant in the military. Yeah, I heard that. I would actually pay to see him drill sergeant his way through a art an art class. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. I would I would make a joke about that, but I am way too tired to do a f- bad fake drill instructor. Anyway, in a statement, Annie Baronis, the marketing director at Twitch, said, quote, 
Guided by feedback from our community, Twitch has been focusing on content beyond gaming that nurtures the culture around their interests, whether it be anime, art, cooking, or pop culture in general. As an iconic sci-fi superhero franchise that achieved legacy status for the past two decades, Power Rangers fits right into our community's wheelhouse. Yes, all this is being held uh, to help hype up the upcoming Power Rangers film that will be premiering next week. Yeah. Y'all ready for that shit? I ain't. Uh, the only thing that the only thing that's got me excited is watching this movie has given me an excuse to say I would like to do a riff of Mighty Morphin the <laughs> movie. Mighty Morphin movie. Yeah, that'd be fun. We'll probably do that at some point. So moving on. Uh, David Benioff and Dan Weiss, the showrunners for HBO's Game of Thrones, have confirmed that the eighth and final season of the show will only be six episodes long. That's probably for the best. Yep. At a panel at South by Southwest, uh, Benioff said, It's only going to be six episodes for the final season. From the beginning, we've wanted to tell a 70-hour story. It will turn out to be, uh, sorry, a 70-hour movie. It will turn out to be a 73-hour movie, but it stayed relatively the same of having the beginning. Having the beginning, middle, and now we're coming to the end. It would have been really tough if we lost any core cast members along the way. I'm very happy we've kept everybody and we got to finish it the way we want to. So yeah, good on them. Yep. Uh, the final season will be coming out at some point. July 16th. Uh, sorry, not, that's not the final season. That is the seventh season. Then after that, it'll be the eighth season at some point, which will be the last season. Kind of burnt out on Game of Thrones in the last season. Yeah, it was good, but I'm just kind of... <laughs> yeah, not quite... Not quite... Um... Game not uh, not quite uh, Walking Dead bad burnt out, but just you needed time. You only take so much. Yeah, I guess Game of Thrones didn't burn me out as much as Walking Dead because it wasn't just doing the same goddamn thing over and over again. <laughs> okay, then we got a fucking back to back reboot remake news bullshit. So first up, Fox is currently developing a remake of The Fly. Yep. They are currently in negotiations with J.D. Dillard, uh, the writer and director of Slate. Slight? Slight. Yeah, Slight. A movie about a street magician who becomes a superhero. I've heard things about it. Sure. Yeah, so should the deal go through, um, Dillard will be directing a remake uh, from a script that will be that uh, that will be co-written uh, with him and his writing partner, um, Alex Thurer. 
Uh, no word on whether they are taking more inspiration from the original 1958 version or the 1986 version with Jeff Goldblum. I'm going to assume the latter because that's the one people know. Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't think when they did the Thing movie in 2011, they were like, you know what? We really need to bring back Carrot Man. Yeah, that's that's what that that's what that fucking John Carpenter one was missing. And then Warner Brothers, according to the Hollywood Reporter, is currently in the early stages of developing a reboot of The Matrix. Because that's probably a good idea without the Wachowskis. Yeah, that's probably a good. Reeves. That's probably a good idea. Period. Yeah, the Matrix was a thing. The Matrix was a movie that had a timeless feel to it. You go back and watch it now; it's like, yes, this could have been made today. Yeah, like it's you saw it look into the future, and it went whoa. Yeah, so Zach Penn is currently in talks to write up a treatment for the movie. Uh, with the sources also telling uh, THR that there is interest for Michael B. Jordan to star. Sure, whatever. Nothing is nothing is actually set in stone or anything official about that. Uh, like I said, they're still in the very early stages of developing this reboot. Because Michael B. Jordan has a great history of starring in at reboots of sci-fi properties. Yes. And so hopefully, uh, before they actually get to the stage where they would bring this offer to Michael B. Jordan, they'll realize this development is cancerous and abort it. Yeah. You know, the reason I was saying, another reason I was saying fuck you about the Kong Skull Island thing is that if you, that was honestly the one remake or reboot this year that didn't leave me soulless and depressed because... All of the trailers before that movie were shit that gave me the reaction you had to Kong Skull Island. You had both an official and an unofficial Alien reboot. You had uh, Blade Runner 2049. You had Power Rangers. You had The Mummy. God, I can't believe that's still happening. Oh, God. (sighs) Moving on. So I was so I was actually praying for Kong Skull Island after all that <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Henry Cavill, who everybody knows is the worst Superman ever, uh, has joined the cast of Mission Impossible Six. Something tells me he wants to try to associate himself with another franchise. Maybe. And yes, yeah, so this announcement was was made kind of weirdly uh, over Instagram in the comments because Christopher Christopher McQuarrie, the director, posted a picture of himself standing on rock saying, "Hey, Henry Cavill, you want to be in this thing?" To which Cavill responded, "Yeah, sure, fuck it." So that'll be happening. Found piece of news that nobody will care about except me because I'm fucking retarded. According to Deadline, MTV and production company Dimension TV are looking at rebooting the Scream TV series. (laughs) 
you must be tickled pink, dead man. <laughs> yeah, uh, that fucking... Uh, that power drill slowly going through my heart palate into my brain tissue is real ticklish. Well, if it helps, once it reaches your brain, you won't feel anything. The brain has no nerves of its own. Well, I don't have a brain in there. It fucking dissolved and slooshed out my fucking nose hole years ago. That's why That's why I keep watching yeah. things like Scream the TV series. Isn't that still on the air? The third season is going to be coming up later this year, and that's the part where they're thinking about rebooting it. It's <laughs> the third season is going to be six episodes long, as a, as opposed to the almost double length seasons that came before it. I'm pretty sure that season one had ten episodes, and season two actually was double length with twelve episodes, and also the made for TV movie. Because <laughs> you know, <sighs> oh no, sorry, uh, the. Season two of Scream had 14 episodes. <sighs> so yeah, this is all uh, right. Right now, this isn't actually anything really set in stone. Uh, like Deadline has a history of being all right about these things, but nothing officially has been confirmed by like the studio or anything. And it is currently, um, and even the article itself says the plan is tentative. <sighs> but yeah. So they do this, it will really piss me off because they still haven't actually finished the fucking story from the first two seasons. But from what I've heard, don't you get the impression that there's nowhere interesting for it to really end? Probably not, but I'd rather have an ending. So you'd, you'd rather be shot point blank in the head with a shotgun than just be left out to die in the desert? Yes. <laughs> just fucking old yeller my ass. That'll be fine. I am fine with that. Just... I can have it be six episodes of just the fucking cast sitting around a table reading the script at me. Not even acting, just reading. <clears throat> that would be a fucking conclusion. It's gonna be fucking something. Who the fuck slit Kieran's goddamn throat in the prison? Is Brandon, is Brandon James dead? Is he alive? What is What is happening? Why do I care? I think that's the most important question you just asked, dead man. <sighs> so be sure to stick around while we eventually bring back <clears throat> X and Y as I force Core to watch that show. We got through season one, but we haven't finished season two yet. I right, so that does it for what we're watching then. On to... New releases and shit, I guess. I don't fucking know. This week, March 17th, we got Beauty and the Beast. 
Belco experiment. T2 train spotting. After that, next week, it's Power Rangers. And it's coming out against a weird selection of movies. Yeah, it's coming out against uh, Life, the latest... The the, the first of the alien clones. (laughs) Yeah, with Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal and that lady from Mission Impossible 5. Oh, that is her. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten so sick of trailers for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, this is weird. It's It's not even listed as part of it's not even listed on her fucking Rotten Tomatoes page. Maybe she signed her name Elaine Smithy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. And also coming out against the remake of the reboot remake. Fuck who gives a shit about chips? God, that was a thing. Yeah. Oh, God. Dak uh, Shepard making that pay. Ja- Dak Shepard earning that paycheck. Yeah, poor um, Michael Pena. Shit, what is? Yeah, Michael Pena. I was like, I really like him, and he now in because he's funny and a name, he's going to start showing up in a lot of this kind of shit. Yeah. We need. We needed. We need the new Spider-Man movie so we can have an excuse for people to somehow meet Michael Pena's relatives or people he knows so he can talk about them. Don't worry. Later this year, Michael Pena will be starring in the Lego Ninjago movie. Oh, God. I saw trailers for that, too. Yeah, Caveman tried to get me to watch that, and I was like, this is... I know it's Lego, but... Come on. <laughs> There's a character in that movie who's played by a guy named Justin Thoreau, and for a second I just kind of skimmed his name. I thought I said Justin Trudeau. That would probably be funnier. For those I who don't know Justin know. Thoreau and he's a block of wood. Yeah. For those who don't know, Justin Trudeau is a Canadian Prime Minister. And everything the American president does makes him look more awesome. I mean, he already looks fucking sexy as hell, so that's kind of hard to do. No, not when you're... Literally, any positive attribute you could give to your prime minister, you could give the negative to Trump. Like, literally, just a list of Trudeau's accomplishments would read as a list of negatives for Trump. (laughs) Like, handsome, ugly, in shape, fat, and eating KFC and Taco Bell on a regular basis. Can eloquently explain astrophysics in two languages, can't string two words together in King's English. Falls downstairs on purpose, falls downstairs on accident. Owns a bathrobe, refuses to own a bathrobe. Yeah, the list is basically endless. One loves his wife, the other's wife lives as far away from him as legally possible. One eats pizza with its hands like a normal person, the other one's a communist. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you all for joining us. Next time, 
Go-Go Power Rangers. <laughs> In between now Happy and then, birthday. though, we're going to be having our regular on news, maybe reviews, podcasts, all kinds of bullshit, but until then, I'm dead. Go-Go Birdie, get the fuck out of there. Dos Vidania, President Trump. <laughs> <laughs>